Thank you for joining us for Revive the Drive, a ministry of the Bethany Fellowship of Churches. We live in a world where time is a precious commodity. One of the avenues for reviving our souls is the necessary commute to and from the many places our schedules take us. As the wheels of the car begin to turn, join our panel and set the wheels of your mind in motion as you consider the significance and impact of theology on everyday life. Let's listen in as our pastors talk theology. Welcome to Revive the Drive. My name is Daniel Bennett. I'm pastor at Bethany Community Church. And joining me today are Art Georges from Living Hope Community Church and Rich Burkle from Bethany Baptist Church. And today on Revive the Drive, we're talking about questions from teenagers. And so also joining us in the studio are a couple of, of teenagers, and we'll let uh, them introduce themselves as the, the program goes on. Well, let me introduce the, the, the first, and uh, Colin, Kristen Berry. And uh, Colin is uh, at Bethany Baptist Church. And Colin, you want to tell everyone a little bit about yourself? Worst, yeah, absolutely. worst thing you've ever done, and oh yeah, all the yeah the worst thing I've ever done. So when I was when I was really young, I I, I uh, took from my mother. And, no, I'm just kidding. Okay. I'm not going to start. Not going to start with that story. Um, but no, it's it's great to be here. Thank you for having me. Um, my name is Colin Christenberry. Bethany, go to Bethany Baptist. I was homeschooled, and so I just graduated. I was headed up to Minnesota in the fall um, to start start a graduate degree in business there, and uh, see where the Lord takes me from there. But yeah, so I was told get some questions uh, to ask you guys, and I'm yeah, excited to yeah. to hear what you guys uh, have to say about them. So, Colin, what's the what's the question that you have for us to start our, our time off together on the revive the drive? Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, the first question I have um, that's just been running through my mind um, and my heart is um, how do we avoid the trap of becoming so comfortable with our lifestyles that we overlook our own sinfulness and our need for grace? Mm-hmm. That's a great question for Rich. Sure. <laughs> so we, as we began, we were wondering, uh, should we get the questions ahead of time or should we just right. be sur- surprised? And so now we're experiencing what it's like to be surprised <laughs> and have dead air. This is <laughs> a great question. Yeah. So so how do we respond to the trap? You call, call it a trap. And, and so maybe you could describe a little bit more of the trap as you see it in your life. Um, how, how would you describe that trap that uh, sure. you're, you're – Referencing. Sure. So, kind kind of what going what's going through my head is is um, as as we live out day by day, um, whatever it is we do, you know, we wake up, um, start the day doing school, or maybe we have a baseball game. There's just uh, daily activities that we do. Can we become so comfortable in those that we forget um, that we forget who who God is, and can we overlook um, sin in those aspects of mm-hmm. our life? Mm-hmm. Can we forget that we need grace while we're um, just living day by day? Yeah. So. Yeah. yeah, I'd like to go ahead and take a start at this, Colin. Um, you know, I, I, I think that uh, what we have to do every day is we have to pray according to uh, that one fellow who said, Lord, um, I, I thank you that uh, you've saved me, and I thank you that uh, I haven't sinned any today, but I'm getting ready to get out of bed for the day, and <laughs> I'm going to need your help. So we need to recognize as we wake up in the morning that we're going to be in need of God's grace. And, and this reminds me of what Peter says in Second Peter chapter 1, um, you know, beginning by telling us uh, the great gifts and promises we have because of God's nature. And, and then he says, in light of this, now for this very reason, applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence and in your moral excellence, knowledge, and in your knowledge, self-control, and in your self-control, perseverance, 
and in your perseverance, godliness, and in your godliness, brotherly kindness, and in your brotherly kindness, love. Now, that, that seems complicated, but he's going somewhere because he says this. And it's sort of an answer to your question. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they render you neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of our Lord. But he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. So it reminds us that we can go through a process mentally. We can get in a practice of going through this process where we recognize each and every day we need God's grace and we need to continually strive to grow. And he gives us some um, areas that we would strive to grow in so that we wouldn't forget of our sinfulness and we wouldn't forget of our continual need for grace. Yeah. Well, first, I think it's it's exactly right to talk about it as being a trap. Um, in Ephesians 6, we find that that uh, the Apostle Paul urges us at the end of that letter to put on the full armor of God that we might be able to take our stand against uh, the evil one in the in the day that he attacks us, and he's going to attack us constantly. And so it's important for us to be spiritually ready for the very kinds of, of conflict that you just described. Um, the passage that comes to my mind is from Luke 18, where we see two people going to church. One's a Pharisee, and the other is this is this mm-hmm. sinner. And and um, both of them come to church for the uh, express purpose of of worship, and yet they come with two completely different attitudes. And so when we get up in the morning, first it's important to to get up with the consciousness of today of the opportunity to worship God. That's my purpose. But not only just to have that as a purpose or as a goal, but to do that with the uh, attitudes that the gospel calls us to. And the attitude that the Pharisee had was contrary to the gospel, which is, hey, you know, I'm, I'm living a life that's pleasing to God. I'm righteous. I'm, I'm more righteous than most of the people around me. And it's easy for a moral person to get into that hard attitude. You look around, and I'm sure you can find people your age that are living lives that are much more morally corrupt than you. And yet the gospel brings us back to the truth that we all are sinners, and we sin against God in an infinite way, and uh, that this that this uh, tax collector has the right heart attitude for us to take each day before the Lord is, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. And that we begin with God on the basis of his mercy and grace, and we continue with God on the basis of his mercy and grace. And when we lose sight of the the truth that we are great sinners, we are failures before the Lord, and yet that God is a great Savior, that there's no sin that God is not able to forgive and then to overcome and remove, and that that he loves us to continue to go back to him for mercy and grace, never tire of that, then I, I think that's one of the key aspects to overcoming the, the kind of trap or problem that you're describing. As you think about this as well, the situation you're describing is certainly a situation that can be true for a time period. But I think that there's something that uh, Scripture describes that that tells us we can have confidence that that's not going to be an ongoing part of our lives if we're genuine believers. Amen. Uh, 1 John describes uh, our relationship with with God, and and he calls us at the end of chapter 2, he says, little children abide in him, abide in Christ, so that when he appears we may have confidence and not shrink away from him in shame it is coming, for you know that he is righteous. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone also who practices righteousness is, is born of him. And so if it's true that a person has been 
uh, reborn, who has, has placed their faith in Jesus Christ and have their heart transformed by the gospel, we, we believe that there are going to be things that are true of them in life. And so I, I think it's certainly true as you get you know wrapped up in the things of the world at, at times or as you're kind of going through life and doing baseball and doing sports or school or uh, you know preparing for college or whatever, that there, there's going to be, or those of us who are adults getting involved in, in, in just life, it's certainly true that there can be moments in our lives where we, we aren't doing what we, what we ought. But the reality of Christ within me, the idea that I abide in him and I've been reborn, means that, that a lifestyle, in God's grace, a lifestyle of practicing sin is not going to be palatable for the spirit residing within me. And yet we are people who will continue to sin. So he's, right. he's, you know, he's not describing a state of sinless perfection. Right. First John 1, of course, uh, famous verse, verse 9, if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What a beautiful truth. And, and I think you know, part of this is this, is this uh, dual sense of, of, one, I never get past the idea that I need God's mercy and grace. So mm-hmm. Jesus taught us to pray. In that model prayer, forgive us our sins. So every day we we are coming before God, recognizing we've sinned against Him, in thought, word, attitude, or action. And yet, this other truth that Daniel was, Pastor Daniel was mentioned, is, is that the gospel is powerful to to literally bring bring about a transformation and change. Um, however, you know my my uh, experience and and my uh, belief that what Scripture describes is the more we become holy, the more we become Christ-like, we actually become more conscious of how much we sin. Mm-hmm. So it's actually a really great thing to have this greater sense of sin in our life, and that drives us back to the power of the gospel. Because the, the more holy Christ-like we become in this world, the more we recognize how, how holy Christ is and how far we yet have to go. Yeah, part of this uh, dynamic is uh, by virtue of the fact that we who believe have been blessed with the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And so um, the Holy Spirit dwelling in us then convicts us of that sin and the need to repent, as both Daniel and Rich have alluded to from First John. So great question. Thank you, Colin. Thanks, Colin. Yeah, thanks. That, that helps me think through, and I hope it helps others think through it as well. So thank you. Well, I don't think we could have done that any better, guys. I'm feeling pretty good. No. <laughs> no, thanks, Colin, for for that great question. And and now oh, we have a very another very special guest. We have Katie, Katie Georges, so Pastor Art's daughter. And and she has a well, first of all, Katie, you want to tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah. Um I am going into eighth grade at Oak Grove West. And my dad's the pastor at Living Hope. And and of, of all the people in this room, who would you say that you're best friends with their daughter? Uh, <laughs> that'd be me? I don't yeah. know. I'm just throwing that out there. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Here's, so what was, uh, what, and you're also an accomplished gymnast as well, right? Yeah. Tumbler. Tumbler. <laughs> yeah. I have practiced like five days a week and I... Won nationals last year. That's awesome. God has really blessed me. Yeah, yeah, very cool. Using your gifts to glorify Him. Awesome. And she is cuter than a bug's ear. And if you haven't seen a bug's ear, they're really <laughs> cute. So, well, great. Uh, well, so you have a question for us as well. Yeah. Um, if God loves everyone, then why does He 
choose certain people to believe in him and Okay, well, thanks for joining <laughs> us and revive the drive, wow. and uh, it's That's been great. To <laughs> Can't believe your dad has. Yeah. In there. Katie, I told you That's not awesome. to ask that question. <laughs> your dad hasn't covered that with you, huh? <laughs> That, that was, that's a question that uh, the Apostle Paul has as well, right? Amen. In uh, Romans chapter 9, he, he asks the, a very similar question as he's thinking about the people that he loves. He says, you know, I'm, I'm telling the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience testifies with me in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing grief in my heart. I wish that I myself were accursed and separated from Christ for the sake of my brethren, my kinsmen according to the flesh, who are Israelites, to whom belong the adoption of sons and the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law and the temple service and the promises, who are the, the fathers and from whom is Christ. So he's he's uh, very concerned that his his countrymen, the Israelites, haven't responded to the gospel, haven't haven't placed their faith. And, and so his his question is, is much the same. And he, he, as he kind of explores it, he says, well, it's not that he's not powerful enough. It's not that he's not good. Art and Rich, what are some other things you see there in, in that passage and others as you think about the answer to Katie's questions here? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question to you, Katie, and it shows that you have uh, thought through some biblical passages. And and uh, I'd like to ask you, too, and I'll let you give think some time, take some time to think about this question to you, is is when did this question come up and, and how did you get uh, exposed or, or thoughtful about this idea of God's election or God's choosing? So I'll let you think about that in just a, for a little bit. But uh, Katie's question um, assumes the idea about God's choosing us for salvation. And maybe we could talk a little bit about that. But uh, Katie, maybe you can share with us how this question came up in your heart, too. Um, well, in Sunday school, we kind of talked about this. And I just got thinking about how he chooses people and how he's choosing, chosen me. And that I'm thankful for that, and mm-hmm. that some people don't get to be chosen, and I just wondered why. Mm-hmm. Sure. Okay. Yeah, there's. <clears throat> I, th- I think whenever we talk about difficult questions, we sometimes have to undergird the conversation with some other truths, some associated truths, and and the doctrine or the teaching of total depravity is one that really. Um, undergirds this discussion because total depravity is a teaching that the Bible uh, teaches us that says that uh, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And and it doesn't mean that all of us are as bad as we could be, but it means that we are all um, infected by the disease of sin. And one of the overarching effects of sin is that we rebel against God, and we would not move towards God. Romans chapter 8 says that the mind that's set on the flesh is not even able to move towards God. It's not able to, to uh, direct itself towards wanting to fulfill God's commands. And so when we see that truth, it means that basically if you want to have a picture here. It's like fallen humanity is on this conveyor belt towards its own demise, which is the the punishment, the wages of sin is death, eternal death in a place called hell that God has reserved for judgment uh, for sin. So the fact that we are all heading that way means that none, and and none of us would turn towards God, um, means that we need help. None of us deserve to be saved, and none of us would be saved if God were not to intervene. Yeah, it's, it's actually God's love 
that drives his his election of his people. Uh, if God didn't have love, then none of us would have salvation or hope or eternal life. And so, uh, you know, a couple key passages uh, are from First uh, Ephesians chapter one. And Ephesians one, uh, God tells us that uh, that He has chosen us in Him before the foundation of the world. So, first we recognize that, however God chooses us, it's not on the basis of anything we've done because the choice happened before the foundation of the world, before we were born, before anyone was born. And then Ephesians one verse five, it says that that. God in love predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will, according to the kind intention of his will. And he is one, Ephesians would go on to say, who works all things according to the counsel of his own will. So there's mystery here about, well, why does God choose some people unto salvation? And what God is telling us is that in the counsel of his will, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit took counsel together and made decisions about all these things before the world was created. And then, as Daniel alluded uh, to uh, Romans chapter 9, um, verse, uh, verses 14 and 15, uh, God says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it, God's salvation, does not depend upon the man who wills or the man who runs, but upon God who, find, who, who gives mercy. And he goes on to say that uh, we dare not charge God with being unjust or unfair uh, because God as a creator has the right to do whatever God wants to do. And yet we're, we're still left with this sense of, of worshiping God because in mercy he chose us to be free from his own condemnation. Yeah, Katie said that her response, let's see if I got this right, you said, you're glad you're you're grateful is that mm-hmm. the word you used maybe you're, yep. great, you're grateful to god that he chose you i think that's i think that's the right response to the mystery too and mm-hmm. uh, rich pastor rich mentioned ephesians 1 and all those all those verses that he mentioned in ephesians 1 are all in the context of blessing god you know blessed be the god who and did all those things and so i think i think that's i think that's the right response i think we've kind of done a, a long response of saying we don't know <laughs> in, right. in, in terms of the why, except to say that, that it's the ultimate way in which God is going to be glorified. And I don't think Paul, Paul answered, asks the question in Romans 9, and I think he says, here's what it's not. You know, it's not that he's not powerful. It's not that he's not good. It's not that, um, you know, and, and here's how we don't respond. But he never doesn't quite land the plane and say, now here's exactly why these people haven't responded th- at this time. And, and it's important also to, as we think about the doctrine of God's election, to hold on to also this doctrine of, of man's responsibility. Right. So in other words, man does not have salvation because man chooses not to bow his knee to God, chooses not to humble themselves. So man is compl- completely responsible for the condemnation or for the punishment that is upon them as a result of their sin. God's not responsible for man's condemnation, man yeah. is. And, yeah. and that's really important to hold on to as well. And how those things fit together is very hard, and it's a bit of a mystery, but we'd expect that of God who's beyond us and who's infinite and eternal. Great question, Katie. T- two great questions. This is uh, 
this is just the first of six sessions on, on having teenagers ask us questions. Do you guys think we can keep, keep doing this? <laughs> we're in deep water. <laughs> well, great. Awesome questions. Yeah. Well, we're grateful for you guys and we're grateful for our listeners. We pray that this has been encouraging to you as you revive your drive. <laughs>